Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Heartbreakers. Welcome back to another Breakdown Bonus episode. Today, I'm joined by senior therapist and relationship expert, Sally Baker, coming to us all the way from London. This is very cool. You're my first international guest. Oh, great. I'm very happy to be your first international guest. Hi there. <laughs> Hello. And you also have a book coming out called Getting Resilience from the Inside Out. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yep. Um, people develop resilience when they're raised in households where they're loved, honored, and adored. I never see those people. I guess they're out there just having a great life. I see the people who are ra were raised in households where their emotional needs were not met. Mm. And one of the things that a byproduct of that is that resilience doesn't get built, but you can achieve it as an adult. So my book is about simple steps to take to build your resilience, which will protect you from all sorts of relationship horrors in, through your adulthood. Yeah, and today we're talking about grooming, which is something that came up in the episode that was released this week where we had, it's a very juicy story, but heartbreaking. A mother of a woman who was married to a man, she starts a relationship with her husband and seems to think that it started from a very young age where there was grooming involved. So I thought that this was a really great opportunity to be able to talk about what grooming is, what it looks like. So yeah. let's just start from the beginning. Like when we okay. say grooming, what does that mean? Because it's a term that's really hard to you know unpick. I think of grooming as attention. And attention is hugely seductive. Attention's like love. And when you, when you kind of unpick love, love is paying attention to someone. And if there's a kind of radar that groomers have where they spot people who are in need of being loved, they have a, they have a, a way of, you know, scanning a room, scanning a bar, finding someone who is vulnerable to the idea of being paid attention and being loved. And if you're vulnerable to being loved, then you are potentially a victim of grooming that can be misused. What would make somebody become a groomer, if you will? Like I I've talked with therapists about narcissists and narcissists never think that they're the narcissist. So do groomers, are they even aware that this is a behavior that they're exhibiting? It's a spectrum thing. I think it's um, if they know that they're users, if they know, I mean, the you know, one end of the scale, of, and I've, I've had those clients, uh, with the trauma of being uh, date raped on Rofenol. I had a, a nurse from America who um, lost her virginity on her, on a blind date with a guy who rofered her. And um, so that's the far end of grooming. So she, you meet someone, they seem delightful. They're very attentive to you. They're very into you. Then they spike your drink. That's the far end of grooming. But often grooming is um, loads of little steps that they're playing the long game. And a groomer might be playing the long game with several different people and so that things come to fruition at different times. 
it's a mindset. It's a kind of user's mindset. It's mm. a power thing. So what makes somebody become a user like that? Someone with very low self-esteem. Because if you have um, a healthy self-esteem and you and you think well of yourself, then you can just meet people and see whether you get along with them and be honest and authentic. It's the antithesis of being honest and authentic. It's the very, very opposite of being real um, and allowing things to develop. Is it more common for somebody who's a groomer? Do they typically choose a target or is it something that maybe like they kind of fall into it like they're a user but then they meet somebody and all of a sudden it's like they fall into this pattern i think it's a gaydar kind of thing you know like a radar for gay people but this is a radar <laughs> for groomers so i think groomers select choose mm -hmm. the people that they want to target and if they, they come across someone who has a really well-defined sense of self-worth um knows their own value is bounded in their behavior, then they won't be interested. Mm. They won't be interested because there's no way in. There's no there's no cracks in the psyche of a person who is well-balanced and has a, a great deal of healthy self-love. They'll be looking for the people who are more, are more vulnerable, are more vulnerable to the idea of being loved. Maybe someone who's been hurt in the past, maybe someone who's brokenhearted, you know, that leaves for us for a period of time as quite vulnerable. That's where a groomer might think, oh, okay, that, that could be someone I could enjoy being with because I could have power over them. So the way you're describing this is it sounds like grooming can happen pretty much at any age, right? Oh, yeah, because I think we date all the way through our lives now. So I do a lot of work with my clients about dating, getting them back on the dating scene when, if they've kind of cleared trauma or they've you know, they've gone through a life change, a transition, and they want to get back out dating. That used to be a thing that happened between 18 and 24, 25. But I've got so many women now and men that come back to dating after the first marriage, the second marriage. I've got people who are dating again in into their 60s. So it's a meeting new people, um, navigating relationships, looking for the flags, the red, the amber, the green, and the beige flags, looking for all of the flags, all the way through our lives now. And grooming isn't just about romantic relationships. Friendships can be really toxic as well because you are groomed to behave in a certain way within a friendship. That's very interesting. Can you tell me yeah. about friendship grooming? What's really interesting about friendships and being able to discern whether a friendship is toxic or not is that often when we meet our mates, I mean, I'm talking about mainly women, you know, it's the same for men. When we meet our mates, we often drink quite a lot when we're with them. So the evening events can be slightly blurry. And the next morning we can think, oh, I just feel a bit rubbish today. I feel a bit crap. And you put that might put that down to the booze. But actually it could be because you've just had your life force sucked out of you by an evening of someone who's just talked you to death about themselves or made demands on you or, um, you know, not, not fed your soul, not met you halfway. Those are kind of toxic friendships. So if you have a recurring theme where you think, actually, I don't feel so good having spent the day with so-and-so or the evening with so-and-so, next time I see them, I'm going to stay sober because I want clarity. So sobriety is brilliant for clarity. And watch what, how that plays out. Firstly, they will really moan at you and complain that you're not drinking because they'll want you to be drinking and matching them. You know, they're, they're a facilitator of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, but resist and stay sober and then just have a, be kind of like a detective of your own psyche. See how the evening evolves and you'll find that actually you don't like most of it. And you're not hung over the next morning because of the booze when you're, after you've been with them, you're hung over because you're drained, emotionally drained. And when you see someone who lifts you up 
and who is good for your heart and your soul, then the next day you'll float. I mean, you can float for a couple of days after seeing a good mate, can't you? It's so different. No, so I- toxic friendships are out there as well, and they're grooming situations. Okay. So can you give me like a, a specific example? Like if I'm out to dinner with a friend and we're drinking, what's something that that grooming friend might do that would drain how you would feel the next day? Well, they could just talk about themselves all of the time <laughs> and not ask you how you are. And we've all had dates like that, but you know, we have friends like that too. And also there are friends that we've hung on to. Friends are really with us mainly for life stages. So we'll have friends that we're very sentimental about and around the holiday periods like we've just had, we go back to and spend time with. And actually, we should have left them back at high school or back before we had kids or back when we were with our first husbands or whatever. But they, they don't travel well. They don't age well with us. They don't allow us to grow and they don't check in with us. So, you know, meeting with friends is a two way conversation where you can mutually share stuff. We listen to them. We nod and we actively listen and we go, wow, yeah, wow, that's happening. And then they they need to ask you how yours is going to, how your life is playing out. And if that's not happening, if it really is one way, then you could be left feeling really distressed, unhappy, flat. Switching gears back to the more predatory, sexual, romantic uh, dynamic. For the story that I released this week, it was a situation where a mother potentially groomed a, a younger male let's say, I think he was in his teens. So what would that look like for somebody who's listening and wanting to identify like what the signs of grooming are in a predatory adult, younger child situation? What, how does that usually play out? Okay. The, the, there's a power imbalance with age. That's, that's the first red flag. Um, and it happens across sexes, whether it's women to men or men to younger girls and younger women. So the age thing the age thing is uh, an imbalance of power because the age things comes with authority, perceived authority. It becomes with, um, they may have other advantage, uh, advantages like economic advantages. So again, the, whenever you're meeting someone and it doesn't feel equal and it's not equal, then there's a, there's a chance of grooming. There's a possibility that this imbalance isn't, isn't going to work in your favor. Are there specific behaviors that the adult will portray to be able to coerce that child to have trust with them? Are there like stages to it? How does it typically look? There are lots of stages to it. You're absolutely right. I mean, what are the casualties? So again, back to the radar, the idea that um, perhaps this older woman noticed some vulnerability in this younger man. The younger man may have had a childhood where his sense of resilience and sense of self wasn't fully formed within the dynamics of his family. So that makes him vulnerable to the potential of grooming. So um, one of the first casualties of that situation is intuition. So our intuition, the idea, our instinct, our gut reaction is really strong with people who um, are raised in households where they're loved, honored and adored, and then their emotional needs are met. So if that's not the case for him, his intuition would be less well-formed. And he might have, he might have in the early stages had misgivings about this older woman's attention, but he couldn't kind of work it out. He couldn't compute it or process it fully. And that allows the stages to kind of perpetrate and continue. So one of the things, especially in my book, is, is how to strengthen your ability, your resilience, sorry, your um, intuition as an adult, because intuition is like a muscle. 
So the more you use it, the stronger it becomes. It's finally not a miserable temperature outside, which only means one thing. Summer is coming up. And let's make one thing clear. There is Hibernation Abbey and there is Summer Abbey. And Summer Abbey likes to feel light and healthy. That's why I've been trying out meals from Factor. They've got meals shipped to your house that are super easy to heat up in a jiffy. And you're probably like, ew, a refrigerated meal. That must be so unhealthy and gross. No, I can confirm these are delicious. And they have so many different options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. You can also add on more than 60 add-ons every single week like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. You get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring and you don't have to clean anything up. Head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Eating better is just one of the things that makes me feel better. And you know what also makes me feel better? Not having to clean up my kitchen when I just want to eat. This living alone thing is great until you realize you're responsible for all the cooking and cleaning around the apartment. And something that's been really helpful for me around mealtime is Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You've got over 35 different options to choose from each week, including Calorie Smart. Protein Plus and Keto. Each meal takes about two minutes to heat up and there's so many yummy options like pancakes, smoothies, and more. Also, you know I love an afternoon snack and there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor's also super flexible, so if you want to pause and skip for a couple of weeks, you can totally do that. Head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50% off. If you're like me and the second you get home from work, you are ravenous. You are going to love these new meals I've been trying out from Factor. Factor has delicious, ready-to-eat meals that you can make in two minutes with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian-approved meals delivered right to your door. It's so convenient. I have like grocery store ADHD. Anytime I go to like Publix or something, I'm buying everything. And then I come home with no meals. Whereas Factor, it's all the meal prep done for you. You've got 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. If you want to get started today and have a feel good week of meals ready to go, head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50 off. And I give lots of exercises on how to build your intuition, how to strengthen it. This is kind of a weird parallel, but there's this trend going around on um, a social media platform called TikTok. I don't know if you're on, I, on the TikTok with the kids. I have a channel. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And there's this trend going around where people are showing, you know, their relationships now versus when they were kids. And a couple of people have exposed themselves as to getting into relationships with adults when they were younger. But, oh, yeah. and a lot of them are going to bat, and I think very earnestly about the validity of their relationship. But I can imagine everyone's kind of like, do you not know what what potentially happened to you? So how would you describe that to somebody who 
has experienced that, who is in a relationship where I don't want to say you were groomed just because you're with an older person, but you know, maybe they don't realize what they went through. How would you describe that to someone who doesn't know they were maybe groomed? Yeah. It's tricky because they're not actually coming to you in a state of distress, are they? They're saying, this is my life. I was 15, 16, and they were in their twenties or whatever, or even bigger age gaps. And they feel that it's completely okay. When you look at it from the outside, it is deeply not okay. And it, again, it is about a power imbalance. You, um, The younger person does not have the same world experience, even emotional vocabulary and insights that the older person would have. And however benign that relationship would be, it's very difficult to see that it wouldn't be harming. So I see a lot of, uh, especially women in their 30s and 40s who really remember and kind of set their self-opinion from their first relationship. So it's very difficult for women who have, and for men who've had disastrous first relationships. So I think we need to be really watchful of who we spend time with, who we give our attention to and who we give our love to, because that the echoes of that first relationship, because we're ground zero, we know nothing. We're just these young people. And then this older person can have massive influence influences on us and on how we think and feel about ourselves. And those echoes last for decades. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because I have always felt like who you spend time with romantically, like that person has the most influence over you, over anybody. And I know that it can really show up, like you just said, in relationships afterwards. What What's an example of how that would look like for somebody to be in a relationship at you know XYZ age, but then to be dating at 35? How does that typically show up? What if they were cheated on, if they were betrayed? I mean, betrayal, the tentacles of betrayal go very deep because instead of thinking, oh, they showed themselves up for who they were. Thank goodness. I now, I know, I now know. And I, and you know, I'm not going to waste any more time on them. We make it about a judgment about ourselves Mm -hmm. and that we weren't enough. So in therapy, I always say there is no amount of therapy that will stop shit happening. But, and that's, you know, a lot of stuff happens out there, but what tends to be worse and more enduring are the judgments we make about ourselves in relation to those events. So I have it about clients who've been raped. Oh, I was only raped by one person. It wasn't like I was gang raped or I was raped, you know, or this happened to me or this man betrayed me and then this other one. And so a pattern can form for a long, for very many years in sequential relationships where you're dating the same person. But the roots of it do often go back to childhood. I have so many clients who... I would say their picker is broken when their father left the marital home when they were at puberty, any age between eight and 13, when the dad goes, because the child, the the young daughter will have internalized and she won't have done this consciously, but she'll be carrying the belief, if I was enough, if I had been a good enough daughter, an interesting enough daughter, a pretty enough daughter, my dad would have stayed. Mm -hmm. And then she'll go and she'll test that hypothesis with, really the worst possible candidates out there to prove herself right. Mm. And it's tragic. And those patterns can be broken. They take a bit of detective work and some some tears, but also, you know, we laugh more than we cry. So some breakthroughs to break that pattern. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. I, I know so many people who are struggling with the father wound attachment and I can see it playing out in their dating life. And it's it's kind of like they have to have a couple of um, rough rough and tumble mistakes to realize the pattern in their life. But like, 
then they go to people like you who can help them through all that and hopefully get yeah. better through, their, through lots of tears and lots of laughs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a ra- about raising a, um, self-esteem and looking at that relationship and thinking, you know, well, that was my dad and that's not that's not me. And that was their relationship. And I don't have to play this out anymore. But it's not a, a not a front brain activity because that trauma, because they remember, you know, if you talk to these people whose fathers left when they were very young, they have it in microscopic detail. They can remember the what they were wearing, the color of the socks, the what the wallpaper in the room. They remember in infinite detail. And that's, tra- that's a trauma response. When you have that hyper memory, that's trauma. The fact you may have got the date wrong, the year wrong, the location wrong makes you um, an unreliable witness, as we've seen in some really big child abuse cases, mm. you know, and, and then the um, the prosecution loves that. They say, oh, well, you got that fact wrong or this couldn't have happened because that wasn't built and, you know, all that stuff goes on in court cases. That's the trauma brain. That's how the trauma brain works. It hones in on minutia, but it often will try to protect your yourself by making it a bit fuzzy around the edges so you'll get dates wrong. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy how how trauma can show up in your body, you know, mm. years later. And when you're when you smell something, it can bring you back to a moment. And I think there's something weird about therapy too, about how just having your trauma validated, or even someone just looking at you and saying that was traumatic. When I went to therapy for the first time and had trauma validated, validated, it was such like a almost like a relief. And yeah. I can imagine for victims of of grooming or any other kind of trauma, like once they realize what's happened to them, I feel like it can be such a weight lifted off their shoulders. So what does that kind of recovery process look like for people who have been groomed? Like once they realize what's happened to them, how does that healing journey start? I I think there's a role for for bearing witness in a therapeutic space. So, you know, when you try and do that with friends and they say they try and minimize your your pain by going, oh, yeah, but that was a long time ago. Or, you know, they they try and fix it because the therapeutic process isn't about fixing. So there's a role to be played about bearing witness. But now that you've done it once, you might find that the next therapy you want isn't about bearing witness. So that, so, the, so if someone has been groomed and they, and they come into therapy to look at patterns of their behavior, patterns of self-sabotaging, how they self-sabotage themselves, you know, how they set themselves up to be hurt, to, to be invalidated, to be failed by other people, um, they might want to bear witness for a period of time. Um, or I often work, because a lot of my trauma is around um, child sexual abuse, and they've they've probably been through EMDR. And mm-hmm. so I see clients who say, I have failed. They come in my door and they say, I have failed EMDR, which is tragic because therapy should never fail anyone. And what they mean is the forensic unpicking, which has to happen over 10 to 12 sessions in EMDR, of the events meant that I couldn't do it. It was too triggering, too trauma, re-traumatizing. And I I said, enough, and I ran. So I see those clients. And then we work content-free because you already know in your in your mind what you need to work on. You might say, I, I need to tell you these events because I want you to know what happened to me. And that's fine. And I'm there for that. But equally, I'm there for you to say to me, use a metaphor, use the, tell me when you think of this thing that happened to you, this terrible thing that happened to you, what, what comes to your mind? And they might say a blue dress or a wet Wednesday or my grandfather, whatever it is, they know. So that's becomes the metaphor. That becomes the hook that we do the work from the blue dress, the grandfather, the wet Wednesday. And they don't have to tell the story. 
And in fact, I see a lot of clients who've done lots and lots of therapy. So they they are bored in telling their story. And it becomes quite robotic because they've almost, you know, part of the process has been to desensitize themselves from the story. The narrative no longer is enough to to cause catharsis. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll do a technical BWRT, which stands for brainwave recursive therapy, where we go into the neural pathways where that trauma sits. Because trauma, grooming, heartbreak sits along neural pathways. And they're in our monkey brain. They're in our the first part of our brain. So everything that happens to us in our daily life, everything we take in information-wise goes through our monkey brain first. So that's where we have to do the work. Mm-hmm. So um, so with grooming, counseling's never enough. Telling you it's not your fault, never enough. This is not a front brain analytical process. This is a this is a subconscious. Let's clear the, those damaged neural pathways and let's lay down some more great stuff. You've talked a lot about resilience, especially because you have a book coming out all about it. Obviously, you I know you've written hundreds and, and hundreds of pages on the topic, but I guess at the heart of building resilience, what does that look like for somebody who has to bounce back from a trauma like this? How do you how do you build that resilience? Connection, human connection. I think we saw that during COVID and lockdowns and separation that we didn't miss stuff. None of us were saying, oh, I wish I could go and buy more stuff. We missed our people. So, you know, if your groomers love to separate you from your people, mm-hmm. and if you've got a boyfriend that says or a girlfriend that says, oh, I don't want to hang out with your family or anymore, or you're too into your family, or you're too into your friends, and I don't like any of them. And funny enough, your friends don't like me. Then, you know, I would say a recovery process would be re- to reconnect with your friends. And they're going to be a bit miffed with you and a bit pissed that you left them and threw them over for some new person. So you're just going to have to say, I'm really sorry, I made a big mistake and get back to your tribe, get back to your people. So human connection of a wide variety of people who love us and care about us is really healing. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Sally, for coming on and talking about this very complex and very dark subject at some points. Is there anything we didn't get to that you really want to make sure that we mention or touch on? It is about the judgments we make about ourselves. Treat yourself with compassion. Don't be so hard. Cut yourself some slack. Don't be hard on yourself. We make mistakes. The whole, and it's okay to make mistakes the whole way through our lives. We're not just going to make them when we're young. We continue to make mistakes and learn and get back up there. And resilience is all about getting back up there, learning the lessons that we've been dealt and going forward with an, with an open heart. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I know people are going to be running to find you after this incredible episode. So where can the people find you? Okay, so my website's workingonthebody.com because I'm very aware of how trauma shows up in the body. So workingonthebody.com and my name is Sally Baker.